Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I am Brian Yeager. Or, in light of today's podcast, maybe the introduction should go like this. Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I am Legion. Ha! I don't know what possessed me to do that. <laughs> oh, today's going to be a punny episode, right? Well, today we're going to talk about Satan, devils, unclean spirits, etc. And that little legion little thing there that I just did is from Mark 5-9 that we'll actually be talking about a little bit later in this podcast. Well, so uh, this was a listener request, and I know that a lot of people get very interested in things like we're going to talk about today. The subject matter can be fascinating can be mind-boggling, can be scary, and all sorts of other types of things. In simplicity, when we're reading the Bible, Satan is the opposition. He's the opposite of God. God is light. He is darkness. Paul, Acts 26, 18, is quoted as saying, to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and an inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. To the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 10, 21, he says, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partaker of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. We'll come back to that context here in just a little bit, uh, talking about why that was written, specifically some things the Gentiles did in the past. But when we're looking at the Bible, you know, light and darkness... God, Satan, the angels of God, the angels of Satan, all these things are very interesting. And of course, even, you know, most people who don't study the Bible, um, I think everybody I've ever talked to the first time I studied the Bible with them, there's some things that they know about from the Bible. Of course, Jesus never met anybody on this earth that didn't know about Jesus, at least who he is, was, whether they believed it or not, um, and all things about Christ, they knew who he was, they know who Satan is, and they know who Adam and Eve are. Um, and the first time in the Bible that we really begin talking about Satan, that old serpent, we'll, we'll make reference to that later as we go through this podcast, some things that will come together as we study through. But when you're reading about Satan... He had a pretty powerful uh, history on earth. In Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And you know how the uh, history goes there. He tempts Eve and she tempts Adam and death enters into the world because of their transgressions. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul makes reference to that says, I fear, lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the figure of Satan is even taking into the first century in representation of evil. Um, and then in direct application in that same context in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15, Paul says, you know, he, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is of no great thing if his ministers shall be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, 
whose end shall be according to their works. So we know Satan and his angels, or might call them demons, devils, unclean spirits, um, they can appear as something that they're not. From the snake, uh, the serpent, uh, all types of different types of things, and man, that just kind of that kind of makes your mind just think and direct. And what's all that that mean? We know that Satan was at times very directly involved. Most notably, people are probably familiar with this, so I'll, I'll use it uh, in the introduction of our lesson. Uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter four. Uh, beginning at verse 1, Jesus was led up of the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil, taking them up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So he takes him to Jerusalem, puts him up the top, way above uh, on the temple, said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall bear up, lest any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh up into an exceeding high mountain, and show him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. From that we can see Satan had power. He had might uh, to be able to take Jesus to exceeding high mountain, to be able to offer him the kingdoms of the world. You know, the Bible says that there's a God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, by implication, that is Satan, uh, and and Satan had that that power to tempt Jesus in that way. And Satan's not alone. Uh, when Jesus is giving uh, the picture of the judgment day in Matthew chapter twenty-five, he says in verse forty-one, "Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, his messengers." So he's not alone. He has angels. Just like God has angels, Satan has angels. So all that is, it's, it's a little mind-boggling, right? Um, nobody on earth today has the experience that Jesus went through. Um, nobody has been taken anywhere and offered anything. Uh, nobody has been set on a high mountain or, or a pinnacle of, of any building on earth by Satan. Nobody's had a direct conversation with Satan. I'm kind of tipping my hand here a little bit uh, because that should tell you that things have changed. Genesis 3, Satan's direct interaction with man. Matthew 4, Satan's direct interaction with Jesus. Today we don't see that. Well, we're going to hold on to that point, and we'll build on that just a little bit later. We also read in the Scriptures that people, in the context I'm about to uh, reference, we're talking about Israel, that they certainly had faith in devils, demons, Satan. In fact, in Psalm 106.37, it says, "...they sacrificed their sons and their daughters 
unto devils. Jeroboam, he created even a priesthood for devils. In 2 Chronicles 11, 13 through 15, the priests and the Levites, that were in all Israel, resorted to him out of their coast. The Levites left their suburbs, their possession, and came to Judah and Jerusalem. For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office unto the Lord, and he ordained him priests for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which he had made. And I'd mentioned when we were reading uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 21, a little bit earlier that we'd come back to it. In 1 Corinthians 10, 20, you know, 21, we're talking about the table of demons and of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 20, the preceding verse, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. So when we read the scriptures, people offered sacrifices to devils. Jeroboam created the priesthood to devils. People worshiped devils. Just like today, there are Satan worshipers all over earth. Uh, 20-some years ago, uh, I was doing the Lord's work in Butler, Pennsylvania, and a brother up there and I, shout out to Stephen if he listens to this podcast, uh, we were out going door-to-door with the gospel, and I think it was, if, if I'm remembering correctly, it was a couple blocks away from where we assembled up there. We'd knocked on a, a door, and, and a man was odd. It was, it was just weird. Came to the door, and, and uh, we told him we were there to talk to him about Jesus. He told us that he was a servant of Satan and that he was part of the Satan's church. And uh, we proceeded to try to talk to him about Jesus anyway, at which time he gave a curse on us and said that Satan was going to come and attack us. It was quite comical. Um, We had no fear of what he was saying about Satan. A little bit of concern that the guy was off his rocker. But I bring that up just to say... There are people still today that fit back to what we see in Psalm 106, 37 or 1 Corinthians 10, 20, uh, where they're still worshiping Satan. Maybe they're offering sacrifices, not sure, but they are definitely worshiping Satan um, and thinking that they are part of the church of Satan, people that are voluntarily desiring to go to hell. Uh, makes no sense, however... The subject matter we're talking about may have a broad interest uh, and and audience. When we look at the Bible, there are a lot of interesting things to talk about on this subject matter. There are verses like we've already read, Matthew 4, 3, where Satan is referred to as the tempter. Well, when people read that, And even though there it's talking about Jesus and it was very direct temptation, sometimes the mind begins to wonder, what what is Satan doing to me? And then you can read other references in the scriptures that even make that subject matter, Satan being the tempter, of greater concern. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy writing to the saints in Thessalonica, says, wherefore we could no longer for, forbear, this is 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, 1 through 5, said, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone. 
and sent Timotheus, our brother, and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you in our labor be in vain. So when you read that, of course it's it's concerning. Well, is Satan working on me? How is he working on me? Well, honesty and reason and logic, you know you're not being taken and set on a high exceeding mountain and Satan directly talking to you. You're not out somewhere doing something and a creature of the earth begins to talk to you, to tempt you. So you know what we see with Adam and Eve and what we saw with Jesus hasn't happened to you. Nonetheless, you might read those scriptures and you might say, is this happening to me today? So this is a study that I hope will give you information, will be interesting to you, and will provide you with, with some clarification on things. So when it comes to Satan, where did it all begin? There are a lot of doctrines uh, that I've heard over the years where people have interesting things to say. Well, you know, this is Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast, so we're going to talk about the Scriptures and the book of Revelation, and I am not going to hang my hat on the book of Revelation. I understand the figurative language that is therein, so we're going to use other scriptures that will support what we're about to read. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12, 7 through 9, it says, There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out in the world, or cast out in the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Well, when you're reading Genesis forward, what you read, what what I just gave you from Revelation twelve seven through nine, makes sense. Uh, and the book of Revelation is highly figurative, and John has vision. Uh, a revelation from heaven, and it's to the seven churches. I'll come back to that point here in a little while. And sometimes you 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 could get lost in trying to interpret figures. Well, here he's just given the history of something that happened in the past. Obviously, it happened before the creation of the world. Uh, to use other scriptures like. Luke chapter 10, and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll see some other things as we go forward too. In Luke chapter 10, uh, the context here is the 70 had been sent out two by two uh, to preach. Uh, so in Luke 10, 17 through 20, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through thy name. And he, being Jesus, said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So there we have clarification, right? It's supporting Revelation 12, 7 through 9. It's just not figurative speech in Revelation 12, 7 through 9. He says, Behold, I've given you 
power to tread on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So Satan is a spirit. The Lord has authority over him. Those that he sent out have authority over him. In the book of Revelation, Further clarification in the figures that are there. Um, if you're ever studying the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 is a great key to the remainder of the book. Um, sometimes, interestingly enough, I've studied with people through the book of Revelation, and they cherry-pick. They, they don't really look at all 22 chapters. They don't realize, like other epistles in the New Testament, that it's a letter written to somebody else, um, and, and I'll, I'll come back to this point here in, in a little bit, and we'll see it, but it's a letter written to the seven churches in Asia Minor, um, and we'll pull all this together later. Well, in Revelation 1.20, there's some keys given in the first chapter. Here's one of them. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand. So John has this vision. He sees the Lord standing there with seven stars in his right hand and then seven golden candlesticks. He says, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So in the book of Revelation, stars representing angels. So when you're reading something like Revelation 9-1, where the fifth angel sounded, I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. I will come back to the bottomless pit point here in a little while. But as you look at Luke 10, 17, 20, as you look at the imagery in the book of Revelation, and as you just study through the scriptures, you see that Satan was roaming the earth, his angels were roaming the earth, uh, and while given different names like the tempter or unclean spirits, uh, etc., you can see and put together that the imagery is accurate, that Jesus confirmed it himself. So as we kind of go forward and we're thinking about Satan and we're thinking about unclean spirits, and I mean, I remember, and I'm not recommending uh, these things. I grew up in the world, so if you're listening to this podcast, um, you need to understand that I did not grow up in a Christian home. Um, I was not around anybody that practiced anything remotely close to Christianity until I was 14, almost 15 years old. Uh, the first 14.9 years of my life were spent in a home where the only time the Lord's name was used was in vain, and every third or fourth word in any sentence that I spoke was generally what would be considered foul language. Um, so with that in mind, when I was a young boy, I watched this famous movie about demon possession, uh, among many other things that no child should ever be watching. And if I, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but if I recall, uh, there's some things in there that us adults shouldn't be watching either. Uh, but nonetheless, come back to this, that movie had me scared to death when I was a kid. And I... I remember being outside when it's dark, and every time the wind would blow, I thought, oh no, the devil's coming to get me. Sometimes, whew, being alone out in the dark, just scary. Besides the neighborhood I lived in, uh, it was just scary. To add to that, uh, my mother, uh, she was a different character. 
one of the under-the-table jobs that she took on to supplement the welfare and child support that myself, her, and my brother lived on, uh, she would sometimes do some typing. And there was a Catholic university in the city that I grew up in. I grew up in Steubenville, Ohio. And there's a Catholic university. I think it was called Franciscan University. I remember there was a time where she was doing a uh, term paper for someone at Franciscan University. I can, I can still remember the guy's face. I can't remember his name. I'm sure that was a long, long time ago. Uh, and when she was doing this term paper for him, it was on exorcisms. And I remember her talking to him, and I, of course, was interested as a child having seen this famous movie and I was interested in what this guy was saying, and he was talking about how he was in Boston, and uh, when he was in Boston, he was part of an exorcism, and just all these just scary things. Uh, well, I, I never opened a Bible. Um, I didn't know anything about it, but from the movie and then from this guy's supposed firsthand account, I was afraid of Satan uh, and, and a believer. Uh, and Satan. Uh, as a child, heard much more about Satan than I did about God. Well, as later in life, I learned the gospel and began to read the scriptures, and like maybe you, started to read some things in the Bible that make the movies a little bit even more realistic. For example, some scary stuff in Mark chapter 5, you know, I made this little joke when we were, uh, when I was starting this podcast about I am Legion. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to give you verses 1 through 13. It says, They came over on the other side of the sea in the country of the Gadarenes, and he was come out of the ship. Immediately there met with him of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, not with chains because that he had been bound or often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus? Thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And when he asked him, What is thy name? He answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send him the way out of the country. Now there were nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place in the sea, and there were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty scary thought, that there would be many unclean spirits, many devils in an individual and that individual was so strong that he could break chains. And he's out doing crazy things. 
man, that's that just sounds terrible. And when you read a little bit further, if you go down to Mark chapter 9, uh, for example, beginning at verse 17, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him and foameth and gnashes with his teeth and he pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples, I spake to thy disciples, And they couldn't cast him out. And answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. Now, we don't know the age of the child. Some people assume this is younger. I'm going to give you an interesting fact a little bit later uh, in, in this study that uh, might infer that he was likely uh, you know, o- older as a child. Nonetheless, coming back to the text, uh, it says, and oftentimes it cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You said to him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Now that's interesting wording, something that we're going to talk about a little bit later. Verse 26, the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him and was as one dead insomuch that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him, probably, why could we not cast him out? And he said, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. So when you're reading that, that's kind of terrifying. Could you imagine if you had a son or a daughter and at some point, maybe teenage years, um, a spirit enters into them and does these horrible things, and you can't do anything about it. And then the disciples of Jesus are out teaching and healing, and they can't do anything about it. I mean, wow, this is this is scary stuff, right? And at this point in time, what we see is the only one that was able to cast out this demon uh, was Jesus. Well, of course, as we look at Jesus, Luke 4.41 says, Devils also came out of many, crying out, saying, Thou art the Christ, the Son of God. He rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that He was Christ. We, we know Jesus had power over the devils. Yet there's there's other accounts. And, you know, when you look at Acts 19, this, this is another interesting, fascinating account. It says, God wrought special miracles. This is Acts 19.11. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto him sick handkerchiefs or aprons and diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. So Paul's not even present. He's just touching clothing of individuals or or different uh, things and the demons are coming out of them. Well, from there, certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus 
whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons, one of Sceva, a Jew, and of the chief priests which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. So when we look at all these accounts, everything that, that is there, uh, some of the movies I saw as a child, these scriptures give validity to some of the things that were in those movies. And it makes it really, really scary uh, what would happen someday if a demon entered into me. Uh, Jesus is not here. The apostles are not here. The Catholic Church that's often represented in those movies is a joke. Uh, they can't do anything. They would, If there were demons uh, possessing men today, uh, what we just read is what would happen to those quote-unquote priests that would try to cast out those demons. Uh, what would we do? So let's talk about this. And uh, you're going to have to allow uh, the Scriptures to do some talking here for you, and then you're going to have to use your brain and reason a little bit, and we're going to put some things into... Uh, context a little bit, and hopefully give you clarity and maybe alleviate some of those fears that you've seen in movies and television and maybe have read some scriptures and seem to maybe solidify in your mind that, you know, someday you might just be at the grocery store and a demon might jump from one person to you and over time, you're going to be strapped to a bed while some guy stands over you, splashing holy water on you and holding up a cross. Hey, just, just a little question for you, something to, to ponder. Why do you think Satan... Let me rephrase this. Do you realize that Satan would always win any basketball game him and his angels played in? Do you know why? Because they always have possession. <laughs> All right. Just another little joke. Just kind of ease up a little bit. And you might say, man, you, I wouldn't be joking about Satan and devils. What, what if one of you, one of Satan's or, or his demons decide to come after you? Well, here I am recording this podcast. And I'll tell you, I've told plenty of jokes about Satan. And the guy that cursed me, that was a Satan worshiper and so forth and so on. And I have absolutely no fear, and I have no fear for scriptural reason that we're going to get into as we go forward. First and foremost, I want to talk to you about an account in the book of Job. And from this account, we're going to again see that Satan had power. However, you are going to see that his power was limited to what God would allow that is a huge point in what we're going to study going forward. And you will see why I have absolutely no fear and joking about Satan. So in Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, that says, There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. If nothing else, you're going to find this to be very interesting. 
Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. This again confirms Revelation 12, 7-9, not to be figurative language. In verse 8, The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made an hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side, thou that hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in land? But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon him put no put not forth thine hands. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. So the challenge of Satan here is, is really interesting. It's, hey, Job serves you as long as everything is good in his life. But if everything's not good, he won't serve you anymore, right? That's the base challenge that Satan has made. God gives authority to Satan to go forward but not to attack the person of Job. So in verse 13, there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their other brother's house. There came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking... There came also another, and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven, and hath burned up the sheep and the servants, and consumed them, and only I am escaped alone to tell thee. So are you reading what Satan was capable of doing? S capable of sending an army? Capable of fire from above? So much that they thought it was coming from God. That, that's powerful. That's mighty. Verse 17, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine at the elder's brother's house. Behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Wow. Satan attacked everything that Job had, his children, everything else. He's really putting to test whether or not Job will continue to be a servant of God when things near and dear to him are taken from him. So in verse 20, Job arose, rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Satan, you're wrong. Job still is a servant and a worshiper of the Lord God Almighty. So, chapter 2. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Again, don't you find that to be fascinating? I find that to be very fascinating. So, 
The Lord said unto Satan, From whence cometh thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up down, uh, down uh, in it. Again, confirming Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and eschewth evil? And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest against me, or thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But pull forth thy hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thy hand, but save his life. So God allows Satan to go a step further. But do you recognize what's happening? Satan is only able to do what God is permitting. I feel bad for Job. How about you? I mean, this, this is terrible. This is, it, it really is on so many levels. It brings a lot of different thoughts uh, to my heart and mine. Well, in verse 7, So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him potsherd to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, and man, this is terrible. This is just terrible. His wife says to him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? Shall we not receive evil? And this did not Job sin with his lips. If you keep reading the book of Job, his friends come to him. And Job does not continue to be perfect. So in this, Satan's challenges, uh, Satan's power does prevail for a period of time. Because if you start, if you keep reading through the book of Job, Job does sin with his mouth. His friends uh, bring accusations against him and charges against him. They all speak foolishly. And then when you get to Job chapter 32, the youngest among his friends, Elihu, begins to speak and is the first one to bring reason to the conversation. And then God directly speaks to Job, and Job has to repent. Job 42, uh, 1 through 6, he abhors himself for the foolishness which he has said. So this perfect and upright man does end up sinning, and Satan's power and might is shown, but so are his limitations. He can only do what God allowed him to do. That is a key to the rest of our study. So in Hebrews 2.14, one of the things that Jesus came to do says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, speaking of Jesus, took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that path the power of death, that is the devil. One of the things Jesus came to do is to destroy the devil. You have to remember, while we have seen the power of Satan and his angels in the scriptures that we have looked at, we have also seen that they submit to Jesus, that they submit to the Father, that if in faith they also submitted to the disciples. In Mark 3, 7 through 11, Jesus withdrew himself with the disciples to the sea, and a great multitude following, from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came to him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait 
on him because of the multitude, lest they should bring throng upon him. For he had healed many, and so much that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. They submitted to Jesus. James 2.19, context talking about faith without works being dead, says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. The point in James 2.14-26 is faith alone is useless if not accompanied with works based on that faith. Uh, they feared. They were submissive. When evil spirits worked through men to deceive, there were countermeasures in place. In 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 5, says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. Now, this isn't saying don't believe every man. That's a true point too. But here it says every spirit, but try the spirits. So these are spirits that were working through man, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out in the world. That's inferring. It's implying that false prophets, now not all, but some were moved by false spirits. The text says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not Jesus Christ come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. If you go back to chapter 2, 18 and, and following, there were many Antichrists, that is just those that opposed Christ, some that were among the disciples, 1 John 2, 18 and 19, but then had departed. So he continues, Whereof ye have heard that it shall come, and even now already is in the world, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hear them. So when we look at the power of demons and devils, there was their power, but then there was the power of God and countermeasures in place so that man was not defenseless. When we come to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, says, God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. So th this is not uh, when, when we're looking at different words in the scriptures and, and kind of the meanings of those words. And sometimes, you know, translations don't always help us. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 4, when you're looking at the word hell there is Tartaru, and when you look at that, it's, that is the only time this word is used in the scriptures. And it's in reference to a special place for the angels that had sinned, which is once again confirming unto us the account of Revelation 12, 7 through 9. But what has changed in 2 Peter 2 and verse 4 is that they are no longer roaming the earth. They are, at the point where we come to in 2 Peter 2, 4, bound. And the book of Revelation, I said we were going to come back to this uh, earlier and talk about this bottomless pit point. Revelation 21 through 3, John sees an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hand on the, hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. That's not to be taken literally like, you know, a thousand years. And by the way, let's just entertain this thought for a moment. Even if it were to be taken literally a thousand years, we are beyond a thousand years from the first century. Just saying, okay? So in verse 3, 
cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that be loosed a little season. So whatever, even if you take Revelation 20 to be literal, it is still something that is in the past, okay? You don't even have to argue that, and I won't argue that with somebody. Either way, uh, it's in the past. But the book of Revelation in, in general, not, not every detail, but in general, is of things that were going to happen in the first century, things that were going to shortly come to pass. Notice the first chapter and the 22nd chapter. In chapter 1, 1 through 4, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto the servant John, who bare record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. So not to you and I, but to congregations that were in Asia. That's who that's written to, okay? When you come to chapter 22, verses 6 and 10, he said unto me, that being John, these sayings are faithful and true. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Verse 10, he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Satan is bound. In the book of Jude, verse 6, the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Whew. I can tell jokes about Satan. I don't have to worry about him knocking on my door. I don't have to worry about him sending one of his angels. I don't have to worry about him sending an army to take away everything that I have and possess in the flesh. I don't have to be concerned about what happened to the Jews in Acts 19 uh, and, and possibly being sent out of the house naked and embarrassed by unclean spirits. I don't have to worry about any of that. I want to draw upon you to do something if you're maybe missing some points. Back on January 3rd of this year, January 3rd, 2023, I did a podcast on the Age of Miracles. When we look at the scriptures, the age of the miraculous has come to pass. And I went through that, those points in that uh, podcast. Uh, when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and you want to do this in context, I'm not going to do it right now for the sake of time, but chapters 12, 13, and 14 are about spiritual gifts. They have ceased. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, Charity never faileth. Whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether it be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. So faith, hope, and love. They came out of the miraculous age, the age of miracles. And once we have that which is perfect, which is the law of liberty, James 1, 27 and 2, 10 through 13, miraculous was no longer necessary. When you look at the quote-unquote Great Commission 
that Jesus gave to his apostles. And again, just I don't know that, that this is very confusing or, or difficult to honest people. I do know that there are people out there that want to pretend like they speak in tongues or that they can heal people. They're just liars. In Mark chapter 16, Jesus talking to the 11, verse 14, because uh, Judas at this point had killed himself. In verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel of every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. If you remember the language that we looked at in 1 Corinthians 13, these things, specifically the, the tongues, uh, and, and that would tie this to the same uh, gifts that we're talking about, they were temporary. They were for a reason. They were to confirm the word. If you read down through the rest of that context, in verse 19 and 20, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he received up in the heavens, sat on the right hand of God. They went forth preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. These spiritual gifts were there for a reason. And one, one of the spiritual gifts was a counter to demon possession. They were able to cast out devils. Well, God is never going to allow Satan to have advantage over man. That wherein there is evil, there is a countermeasure. Well, preacher, how do you know that? Well, I'll give you a real simple verse that I think a lot of people know and they don't, maybe don't understand it the way they should. Uh, but First Corinthians 10, 13, and it's, it's in the context of the Lord looking back on the history that happened in Israel as an, a, examples of disobedience. And 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So, what is happening then, even in the age of miracles, was happening all over. Now, outside the age of the miracles, it's not different here in El Paso, Texas, than it is in Australia. We have some listeners of the podcast in Australia. Thank you very much for listening. Or the UK, some listeners in the UK. Thank you very much uh, for listening. On the continent of Africa, have a lot of listeners in Africa. Thank you so much uh, for listening to this podcast. There is no temptation taken to you, but such is common man. But God is faithful, meaning he is dependable, who will not suffer, he will not allow. You'd be tempted above that which you are able. But with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Point being, wherein there is evil, God has equipped you with countermeasures. If you go back and you read that, or, or you listen to that Age of Miracles podcast from January 3rd, 2023, you will see that the age of miracles included the giving of the Holy Spirit through the laying on the apostles' hands. We looked at Acts chapter 8, 12, and following with the conversion of people in Samaria and Simon the sorcerer, we saw that through the laying on the hands, apostles' hands specifically, there was an evangelist there, Philip. He had the Holy Spirit, was given to him. We see in Acts chapter 6, but he could not pass on the Spirit. And then once the Spirit was given, the Spirit gave gifts. And we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, 3 through 11 in that podcast and proved that process to be true. Well, there are no more apostles today. So those the, the Spirit's not given today. The spiritual gifts are not given today. Therefore, the countermeasure being taken away and everything that we've looked at, Satan and his angels are bound. They are bound in everlasting chains. They are not coming back 
to this earth now or in the future to attack you in any way. You don't have to fear. The countermeasure being gone, so is the ability of Satan gone. Two different proofs there. Satan is bound and the countermeasure is gone. Even when Satan was at work, I know a lot of people know 1 Peter 5, 8. Maybe they don't know where it is, but they've heard, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. He was roaming the earth, but he's not now. You're not seeing people possessed. When is the last time you have seen somebody that's incapable of being bound? Yeah, we see crazy people. We see people with mental problems, but that's not demon possession. And unfortunately, this really strikes me hard. I have an adult daughter who is mentally retarded, medically diagnosed as being mentally retarded. When she was young, she was called autistic on the far end of the spectrum. And as she got older, they just declared her full fully mentally retarded. Um, there are some places on earth where they may be strapping her to a ground and trying to cast demons out of her. Let me tell you something. She's the sweetest, loving, innocent person you will ever meet. And she does on occasion throw a fit, but she is not unable to be restrained or unable to be bound. And she has no demon in her. Uh, but there are people that will perceive that as such. That is so wrong. And they are poorly mistreating people that have mental illnesses that ought to be diagnosed and treated the right way. What we see in the first century, we don't see today. Even, even in those cases with the extreme uh, mental issues, schizophrenia and different things that people face, you feel so sorry for them, but there are clinical treatments for it. There were no clinical treatments for demon possession. Honest people can see that. You don't even have to really study the Bible to see that. When Satan was at work, 1 Peter 5, 8, not today, but then, he, man still was not defenseless. Ephesians 4, 27, the command was neither give place to the devil. Ephesians 6, 11, context of putting on the whole armor of God. Why does that exist? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. James 4, 7, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee for you. You Man was not without the ability to defend himself, without countermeasures, whether that was spiritual gifts or the ability to resist, period. And I know that there are accounts, like Ananias and Sapphira, where in Acts 4, 32 and following, uh, Christians in Jerusalem were selling their possessions and they were helping people that had moved to Jerusalem uh, to be Christians, and they'd stayed there, but they left their possessions in other countries, and there was one congregation on earth, so the Christians in Jerusalem were having to, excuse me, find a way to help their brethren. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold their possessions, but they were also dishonest. They lied. They held back part of the price of the land. Well, I'm familiar that Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? That wasn't demon possession. That wasn't Satan literally doing everything. That's figurative speech. And you've got to be careful with the scriptures. There were times where demons entered into people and did things. But then there are times where Satan is used as a figure of speech. Just the difference between light and darkness. Just as you might be able to say, 
um, God hath done this to you or through you. You could say Satan hath done this to you and through you. And you could still use that language today. I kind of defer from doing that because most of the time when people hear you say something like that, like when they read Acts 5, they think that that's literal. Well, why would God punish Ananias and Sapphira? You know what he did? He struck them dead. Um, why would he do that if it were Satan? See, if it were Satan literally doing it, just same thing with Judas and others in, in the Bible, David in the Old Testament. If Satan were possessing somebody, it was Satan that did it, not the person that did it. And what would have happened and what did happen is the demon would have been cast out or Satan himself would have been cast out. That's honest Bible study. But, you know, when people want to infer that if you did something wrong, the devil made you do it, they use those texts to slightly say that Satan is causing people to do something. Okay, so then strap them down and do demon possession. Okay, really don't do that, but uh, I, I just, I know this. The people that talk like that, they know they're liars because they don't act as though Satan is possessing somebody. That's my point. I want to give you something interesting, just a fascinating thing in the scriptures, and it's food for thought. There's an inference in Matthew 12, 43 through 45, when there was demon possession, when Jesus was casting out demons. In Matthew 12, 43 through 45, he says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return in my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. He's using a figure here to teach a different point. But he's also inferring that those that were possessed with demons made room internally for them to be there. That's a little interesting food for thought during the age of miracles. But again, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Satan and his angels are bound. The age of the miraculous has ceased. There are no physical countermeasures to demon possession, so there is no demon possession. What this does not change is that you can today still be a child of the devil without any supernatural event taking place. And the language of the scriptures, something that we need to choose to understand. There are people that say, I'm not going to serve God. Well, you're serving God or Satan. I want you to hear what Jesus taught in John 8. Um, in verse 31 through 44, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, so they were believers at this point, if ye continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered unto him, we be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you should be made free? Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. I answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. 
Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, ye would love me, for I proceed forth and come from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye would do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. What makes somebody a child of the devil is their deeds. You are the servant of sin. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, says, Little children, there in the context of 1 John, what that is often meaning is disciples of the teacher. He says, Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for a seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he's born of God. In this the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Here's the question. Whose child are you, God or Satan? It's not about who's taking control of you. It's about whom you've chose to serve. Doing righteousness of God. Sin of the devil. Whose child are you? I hope this study has brought some things to light for you. I hope it's been of interest. I hope for those of you that are fearing that someday a, a demon might possess you, that I've helped alleviate some of that fear. By reason and scriptures, clarity should be able to come to your mind. But maybe you are now questioning things. Maybe you're Maybe this podcast has brought things to mind. I don't know all the listeners of this podcast. I don't know everybody's Bible knowledge. Maybe you've got more questions. Hey, look, call me. My phone number is 915-525-5794. If you're in a foreign country, email me and we can set up Skype or some other way where we can talk. Uh, and, And you can ask your questions and we can go through the scriptures and we can reason through the scriptures and we can learn from them. One of the things that should be drawn out in many of the podcasts that I do is when we're reading the scriptures, a lot of times we're we're reading epistles, we're reading letters that are written to individuals or congregations. And what a lot of people do is instead of reading like the book of Luke is a letter to Theophilus, Luke 1 and verse 3, the book of Acts is the second letter to Theophilus. Instead of reading it as a letter to somebody, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago, They're reading it like it says, dear, insert that person's name. When you're doing that, you're studying scriptures thinking that they are personally written to you. You're going to walk away with the wrong conclusion. You have to look back to whom they're written upon, the time in which they're written, what's going on during that time. The first century was during a miraculous age. And during that time period, things were very much different than they are today. And if you're trying to understand scriptures in light of to whom they were written then, you're going to walk away with the wrong conclusion. A lot of people do that. Don't do that. Study from the standpoint of who it was written to and look at it as a historical document. And then from that, draw away what can I learn from what was written to them so that I may know how I personally can please God. Maybe you are thinking now and you're saying, wow, yeah, I had a lot of things wrong. What else, what else could be wrong? Let me help you if you're not a Christian, and if you're saying, I am a Christian, can you scripturally describe how you became a Christian? You know, if you're saying, well, I believed in God, 
the devils believed and tremble. Or if you're saying, I said this prayer, nowhere in the Bible is a lost person told to pray to be saved. If you are, are, are taught like this, there's these one, two, or three steps that I had to do to become a Christian. I'm a Christian now. I just listen online. Nowhere in the Bible is any of that taught. Other questions should come to mind. Get a hold of me. Please let me help you. I do this podcast for the sole purpose of trying to reach out and help people be saved. That's my goal. Help me do it. Let, let, let me help you know the Lord, the truth that is taught through the scriptures, and how it applies directly to you. I can answer your questions. We can go through the Bible and with patience uh, study them. Uh, maybe you, maybe you, you say, I don't agree with what you just said on this, or maybe I don't agree with what you said in a different podcast. I'm not going to debate you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to strive about words to no profit, 2 Timothy 2, 14 and following. But I will study with you, and I will just present the truth to you, and then you can take it or leave it. How about that? You can ask questions. I don't mind pushback either. You know, if someone says, but what about this scripture? Or what about that scripture? Good, we'll look at it. We'll look at it in context. We'll discern it. And you could say, you know what? I don't agree with you. Fine. You can walk away from that study. Uh, I'm not going to do a podcast about you. I'm not going to mention you in some derogatory way. We'll just have a good Bible study. So again, I ask you, reach out to me. We can have a good discussion. And at the end, hopefully... I can help you to know, believe, and obey the truth. Thank you for listening. I hope that you will come back and listen to the next podcast, which if the world continues and all things goes as planned, will be on Sunday, where we're going to be talking about the links that people will go to to oppose and suppress the truth. Until then, if all works out, thank you so much for listening.